Good morning, Moore Tribe. We're so glad you could join us for our version of Church Online. We hope to bring a piece of our home and authentic atmosphere to wherever you are right now. We miss you all and pray blessings over you and your families. We will be posting more on all of our social media and would love for you to follow, watch, and comment to keep us all connected. Lastly, we want to ask you to please give online to support your church. We couldn't do any of this without you. We appreciate your support, your prayers, and the time you've taken to be with us right now. Good morning, church. Glad to see you this morning. It's May 31st. It's Pentecost Sunday, so we're excited about that. I welcome you to uh, another installment of Church Online, and we are marching towards June 21st, which is our get-back-together date, and so we're looking forward to that. Uh, but before we get started today, and we're starting a brand new series today on reasons to get back to church, uh, let's just pray together and ask God to bless the, the reading and the teaching of His Word. So, Father, we just thank you for this time. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that uh, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing or aren't doing, God, no matter uh, how much we know about you or don't know about you, that you're able to communicate with every heart that's hearing this today. Uh, I pray, Father, for everyone that's within the sound of my voice, that they would hear your spirit speak clearly to their heart, and that, God, you would do a miraculous work in the hearts of people today. God, we're asking that your spirit would move uh, in a powerful and new and powerful way for each and every one of us, God. Let, let a revival fire begin this morning in the hearts of many people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, like I said, it's Pentecost Sunday, and Pentecost is one of those uh, holidays that we celebrate as well as the Jews. The Christians have a Pentecost Sunday, and the Jews have a Pentecost that they celebrate every year. It's kind of like Passover. Uh, we Christians celebrate Passover. We have a Seder meal and the Jews have a Passover and a Seder meal. So it's very similar to that. The power of Pentecost, and when people hear about Pentecost as a Christian, they think about Acts 2 and about the coming of the Holy Spirit. But what I'm talking about today is, is maybe a little bit different than what you might think. Uh, I personally believe that the power of Pentecost, and that's the name of this message, is the power of Pentecost, is revealed when you begin to compare the two Pentecosts, the origins of the two Pentecosts in Judaism and in Christianity. Uh, the first, very first Pentecost that there ever was was when the Jews had the Passover and they, they left Egypt and they went across the Red Sea and they got into the, into the wilderness. And 50 days after they left Egypt, 50 days after the Passover, uh, they went to Mount Sinai. And Rabbi Hanan told us that the Jews celebrate Pas uh, Pentecost because whenever they came to Mount Sinai, God gave the law. The Ten Commandments came down and that was what Pentecost was about. And so I'm going to read that, just an account of that, a short account out of Exodus chapter 19. And it begins in verse 17, and it goes like this. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of, the Mount, all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on top of Mount Sinai, and he called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord, or they will die. 
So that is the description from Exodus 19 of the first time there was a Pentecost. The people had assembled at the base of Mount Sinai, and Moses went up, and he got the law, and he brought it back down. The beginning of the Pentecost celebration for Christianity is quite different. And it's, you know, some over a thousand years later, here comes Christianity. And in Acts 2, it talks again about Pentecost. It said, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, this is in Acts 2, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were, dwellings, there were those dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound occur, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled. So there's the two accounts of the, past, the Pentecost of Judaism and the Pentecost of Christianity, very different. Uh, the, the, the Christians celebrate Pentecost because it celebrates the giving of the Holy Spirit. The Jews celebrate Pentecost because it commemorates the giving of the Ten Commandments or the law. But what I want us to look at, first of all, is the similarities between the two of these events because there's several. First of all, both groups had assembled because God invited them to assemble. You know, he God invited the Jews to come to Mount Sinai because God wanted to speak to them directly. God wanted to tell them the law directly. And God invited, or Jesus, he said, tarry in Jerusalem and wait until you receive the power from on high. And we know that Jesus gave that command to 500 people. And whenever we read it in Acts 2, there was only 120 of them left. So these people were both, both groups were assembled on the day of Pentecost for the same reason. God had invited them to assemble. But what's funny is, in the Christian account of Acts 2, there were 380 people that weren't there. And so right away in this, in this new series of reasons to be in church, I want to draw your attention to the fact that what happened in Acts 2 was a corporate blessing. It wasn't an individual blessing, even though it happened to individuals. It happened corporately. And there were 500 people that were given the charge to wait in Jerusalem until the power fell on from high and only 120 of them did it. And so the, only the 120 experienced that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's just a good reminder and reason that we need to be in church on a regular basis because many times spiritual blessings pour out on the congregation, on the corporate meeting that don't pour out individually. That's, that's a similarity. Another similarity is that you notice that the Lord came down in both instances in the form of fire. Mount Sinai, he was in fire on the mountain, and there was smoke everywhere. And in Pentecost, he came down in tongues of fire on the people. In both accounts, there was a mighty sound. But in the Jewish account, the mighty sound made everyone fearful, made everyone tremble. But in the Christian account, the mighty sound is what drew everyone to that place. Everybody came because of the mighty sound. There was also something that was similar between the two accounts, is that something from heaven was given to us on earth. In the Jewish Pentecost, at the very first one, the law, which is something from heaven, from the very mind and the heart of God, the law, which is good and perfect in every way because it comes from the Lord, was given on that first day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit, that is God 
in the form of spirit given to man was something from heaven that was given to man. There's so many similarities in the two accounts. But I think the power is truly found in the contrast. You know, Moses, it says, had to ascend the mountain to meet with God. Where in the case of the Christian Pentecost, God came all the way down to the people and rested on the people. I think it's a clear contrast in the way that Judaism is about man's effort to have to climb the hill to approach God and God's effort to reach man in Christianity. He comes all the way down to where we are and he meets us where we are. The people in the first Pentecost, in the Judaism Pentecost, they, they were warned not to come near or there would be death. They were warned they had to obey. And in the, in the Christian Pentecost, people were empowered. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to obey God, to do what God wanted them to do. In the Jewish Pentecost, the word was written on tablets and came down to man. In the Christian Pentecost, the word was written by the Holy Spirit on the heart of every believer. In the Jewish Pentecost, there was great fear. In the Christian Pentecost, there was great joy. In the Jewish Pentecost, the people asked God to actually stop speaking to them because they were so afraid. They didn't want God to speak to them directly. In the Christian Pentecost, God spoke to the, those early believers and not only spoke to them, but through them in the form of, of tongues to communicate his wonderful works to people that were in the city. But the biggest contrast in the two Pentecosts is that in the first Pentecost, when Moses brought down the Ten Commandments into the Israelites' camp, <laughs> they had already broken the first commandment before he could get off the mountain with the law. They had built a golden calf, and they had had a, another god before God. And 3,000 Jews died that day as a result of that sin when the law came down and into the camp. On the contrast, on the other hand, at the Christian Passover, whenever the Spirit of God came down into the hearts of those early believers and they began to declare the wonderful works of God, people from all over the place came there and 3,000 people were saved. One hand, 3,000 people died. The other hand, 3,000 people were saved. It's a big contrast and it marks a big difference between a religion and Christianity. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is God coming to make peace with man. That's what he's doing. He's taking the initiative. It's not about our effort. You know, God's not mad at us. God has come down understanding that we're weak and that we can't keep the law. And he's come down and made a way to be with us. It's very different. The writer in Hebrews spells it out so clearly in Hebrews chapter 12. I love this. This is where you probably need to get your Bible, maybe a pen and paper, and just begin to try to, to follow along here because I'm going to go through uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 18 through 24, and I'm going to go through each verse and talk about how powerful what we have today is compared to other religious things that are on the earth. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 says, You've not come to a place like Mount Sinai that can be seen and touched there's no flaming fire, dark cloud, or storm, or trumpet sound. Stop right there. It says that, you know, we no longer have to go to a place to find God. This is so beautiful. You don't have to go anywhere. There's no pilgrimage that has to be taken. God is close to you no matter where you are. I don't care if you're in a bar or in a synagogue or anywhere you are. God's going to be close to you because he's promised to do that. We no longer have to go find God. We know, it's no longer about a place. It's no longer about a practice. It's about spirit 
and truth. It's very different. God's taken the initiative, and he's brought it to us right where we live, no matter where we are. Next verse, the people of Israel heard a voice speak, and they begged it to stop. You know, no longer do we need to fear God's voice. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 4, 4, that we, as, as followers of God now, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God speaks regularly to those that he knows, and there's no reason to fear. He's not, he's not looking to condemn you or beat you up or be angry with you. He's there to lead you. It's different. And then it goes on and says that the people begged God to stop speaking to them because they could not obey its commands. You see, the, the children of Israel were so afraid of God because when God brought down the commandments, they, they realized right away they had already broken the very first one before it ever even started. They realized that they were toast because they couldn't do what the, God commanded. You see, what had happened earlier in that chapter in Exodus 19, verse 8, they had said to Moses, go up the mountain and whatever God tells you, we will do it. They couldn't do it. And neither can we. We can't do it. And that's the thing. They ran from God. They were afraid because they had all that fear because they couldn't do it. We, on the other hand, as Christians and as people that understand this, we run to God because we know that we can't keep it. We run to God and say, God, have mercy on us. And he does. It's so different. We go on. They were even told to kill any animal that touched that mountain. You know, there no, there's no more animals that need to die. Jesus died the only death that ever needs to be died. That's it. No more sacrifice. You don't have to die for what you believe. Nobody needs to die for what they believe. Jesus died for us all. He is the one that did it. It says in there that he goes on and says, The sight was so frightening when God came down on the mountain that even Moses shook with fear. You know, it's no wonder that when Jesus came on the earth and he began to preach to people, especially the Jewish people, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. What he was saying was, you've got to change the way you think because everyone in that time, zone, everyone in that time they, they had this idea that God was harsh and mean and demanding and that he was putting this law on them and that if they didn't measure up, he would kill them. And Jesus said, you've got to change the way you think. Now God's coming down to meet you where you are and to bring you where he is. And that's what it's, the difference is between walking with Christ and trying to be religious. Now he's going to go and show the contrast on the positive side of Christianity. We go into verse, chapter, uh, verse 22 of chapter 12 of Hebrews. He says, no, you don't go to Mount Sion, uh, Sinai. You come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You see, this is, this is God's invitation to us as Christians. We don't have a dead religion. We don't just read words on a page and try to do what it says. We have an active, personal relationship with God. And every time we go into our prayer closet, every time we go into the secret place, we have an opportunity to go into the very throne room and courtrooms of God. It says, you haven't come to Mount Sinai. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And listen to this, to the countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. We get the opportunity every time we go to our prayer closet to be in the midst of the praising angels of the courts of heaven. You know, we're not called to spend the first 10 minutes of our prayer time apologizing to God because we've been so bad or trying to make excuses for what we've not done. 
You know, we come in to experience his kingdom. Experience the kingdom of God. That's the opportunity that Christians have. Luke 10, 21, Jesus said this. says that Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit, and he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. You see, God gives every single Christian, I don't care if they're born again for 10 minutes, they have the opportunity of coming right into the courts of heaven, having supernatural experiences. God is bringing his kingdom to us, not because we've learned about it or because we're wise or because we've walked with him for 40 years or we've learned to be so disciplined. He does it because it's a gift. He wants to join with us. He wants us to be with him. The invitation is for us to be in the heavenly realms with him, and we can do it regularly. Hebrews 12, 23. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names have been written in heaven. You've come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. This is a powerful verse. If you look at this verse closely, you realize that he is talking about we have the opportunity every time we assemble. When we get back together on June 21st, we have the opportunity to assemble with God's firstborn children. We'll look around this place. There won't be one person in here that hasn't been made perfect by the blood of Christ. You see, we'll look at people that are 100% redeemed. There's no such thing as 75% redeemed Christians or 50%. You can't look at someone and think they're less redeemed than you are. Everybody either is 100% or 0%. And so when we gather together, he says, you come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. That's awesome. We realize that we are sitting with people that we're going to spend eternity with when we get back together. And then it goes on, and at the end of that verse, it says, you've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who've now been made perfect. He's talking about those that have gone on before us who are now in heaven. This is what he talks about later in the chapter. He said, there's such a great cloud of witnesses that surround every believer. We, we, are, we are somewhat connected heaven to earth in the spiritual realm, not only with those that are living in heaven already, but us that have already been given eternal life here. Our eternity, it starts on earth. And we have opportunity to be in union, to be in, to be in the presence of the angelic host. And I like this verse, I like the structure of it, because right in the center of the verse, it talks about you've come to God himself, the judge over all things. Why would he put that about God is the judge over all things? It seems to me it would be better if he had said God who's the Savior of all people. But he doesn't say that. Why would he bring up judge in the midst of this? It's because he's talking about those saints are in heaven that have been made perfect, these saints that are here that are firstborn and they're 100% redeemed, and God's the judge in the middle of it. Every time we meet, God's right in the middle of it, and he is the judge and we're not. I think it's a reminder that we don't need to judge people. When we're sitting in this congregation, when we're sitting together, we don't have to judge each other. God the judge is right here with us. If there's anything going on, God will sort it out, not us. We just have an invitation to be in this place, to be together, and to be in love. In fact, he says this in 1 John 4, 17. If God's love's made perfect in us, we can be without fear on the day when God judges the world. We'll be without fear because in this world, we're just like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 12, verse 24. 
And this is our last verse out of this chapter. He says, you've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, to the sprinkled blood which speaks forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Did you get that? He said that we, hate, we, we as children of God understand that Jesus has a job now in heaven that he has resurrected and he is mediating. He, he, he's in 1 John 2, 1, it says he's our advocate on our behalf of the new covenant between God and people. That he's speaking to God about the sprinkled blood, Jesus' sprinkled blood, his own sprinkled blood, in that blood, he said, cries out for forgiveness. And he said, but there's another one out there that cries out for vengeance. It's the blood of Abel. Now, we remember this story from way back in Genesis when Cain killed Abel. Abel's blood was crying out from the ground, crying out for vengeance and justice against his brother. God's saying that that's no longer the way it is. The blood of Jesus was slain so that justice and vengeance are no longer the heart cry. It's now mercy and grace and love for those that are around us. Christians are privy to this type of feeling, this type of knowledge, because we have the heart and the knowledge of God's heart. And this is why Christian people are the most gracious, tolerant, and understanding people on earth. Why wouldn't we be? We understand the heart of God. We have the mind of Christ. We absolutely know that he is up there crying out for the forgiveness for everyone because he died for the sins of the world, not just for the few. Yeah, there's a huge difference between the two Pentecosts. It's super clear. Two different ways to approach God. One is by self-effort and one is by God's gift. When I think about this type of thing, you know, self-effort, God's gift, I, I, I go back to the Garden of Eden. God gave him a choice back in the Garden of Eden. He said there's two trees here in the garden. One's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and one's the tree of life. He said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I don't want you to eat from that tree. And of course, we know the story. They did. And do you realize that whenever the first Pentecost came, and when the law came down on that mountain for the first time, and the people saw the law for the very first time, and 3,000 people died, that was an answer to this, uh, this desire to know the knowledge between good and evil. Do you realize that when the giving of the law came down on that first Pentecost, that it was an answer to them eating the forbidden fruit? God allowed them to know the difference between good and evil, and they could not bear the truth. It cost 3,000 people their lives. When God's heart all along was not for mankind to go down that road of trying to figure out what all the rules were and just trying to do everything just right because we can't. He said, I'm putting a tree of life here, and he wants us to partake of the tree of life. Jesus is the tree of life. He's the bread of life. He's saying, all you must do is partake of that tree, and you'll live forever. Jesus said, those that believe in me will never die. You don't have to know all the rules and keep all the rules. You don't have to, to do everything just right. God understands that you can't. I can't, you can't, no one can. They never have except Jesus. What he's saying to us today is that there's an opportunity because of the second Pentecost for God to come very near to you, for God to come into his very spirit and for you to partake of the tree of life and for you to live forever with God. The Israelites just wanted God to 
Tell us what to do and we will do it when they couldn't do it at all. And God all along has just wanted us to receive the free gift of life that he's always wanted to give. And then to give us the free gift of his Holy Spirit that can lead us, that can teach us, that can empower us to be someone that we never thought we could be. You know, these are powerful differences of the two Pentecosts. Stark contrast in the way that God deals with mankind. But I want to tell you this. God has had an invitation to you just like he has an invitation to me that he wants to bring you into his family. He wants you to be born again. Some of you may just have head knowledge. You may have only partaken of the tree of knowledge. That's maybe all you know is about God. But what he wants you to do is partake of the tree of life and understand his grace and his mercy and that that's what he wants you to partake of. Come to him. He wants you more than you want him. And if you'll come to him and simply pray and open your heart, he will come in. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is just that simple. Confessing Jesus as your Lord, that he has a right to be uh, the Lord of your life, the authority of your life, the guide of your life, and that you believe that he's been raised from the dead and he's, he's an advocate in heaven, a mediator in heaven, speaking on your behalf, that when you sin, you have an advocate and not a judge, and that his mercy triumphs over judgment. When you open your heart to that truth and you begin to truly believe that, God will come in and he will fill you and be close to you and he will never leave you. The second thing that God really wants for each and every one of us is for us to be filled, baptized with his Holy Spirit. Now, baptism in the Holy Spirit is something that uh, many people call a second blessing. And I think that it is a second blessing. You know, I was born again in 1976, but I wasn't baptized in the Spirit until 1995. I knew a lot. I had a lot of knowledge about God, and I had received him as my Savior, but he had never immersed me in his spirit and empowered me to be who he created me to be. And that was in 1995. He desires for each and every believer to be baptized in his spirit. It's not mysterious. It's not mystical. Uh, it's very, very plain in scripture what it, what it is. He, he, he says it starts with a desire. He says when we desire God's spirit that's a good thing. He really will fill us with his spirit. No other spirit will get in. If you're asking for God to baptize you with his spirit, you don't need to fear any evil spirit coming in. God is bigger than any other spirit that's in this world. And if you're asking for him to baptize you with his spirit, if you have a desire, he's going to be able to do that. You need to have a desire for God's power. Not power so you can, it can puff you up. I'm talking about an empowerment an empowerment that you can be who God created you to be. So many people know that God made, made them for greatness, but they just have trouble getting there. It's because maybe you lack the power to let God come and, and empower you to be who he created you to be. That's really what he wants to do. He wants to empower us. I know with me that uh, I was baptized in the Spirit in 1995, and by 1999 we had started this church. I knew from the time I was 21 years old that I was supposed to be a preacher, but I never had the empowerment to do that until I was baptized in the Spirit. 
And the last thing is, you really should have a desire to pray in the Spirit. You know, when we're baptized in the Spirit, God gives us a prayer language. God gives us a language that's a language of heaven. And when we pray in the Spirit, we can intercede on the behalf of people in a way that we couldn't do with just understanding. Having a desire for the Holy Spirit, a desire for empowerment, and a desire for a heavenly language, a prayer language, those are all good things. But in my experience, and this is where you're going to get another reason to come back to church, in my experience, I had prayed and asked God and and desired these things for several months. And I'd prayed and prayed and prayed and never really felt like I, I received. And then the Lord impressed upon me that I needed to be in the church and ask certain people to lay hands on me and pray over me. And when they did, I was baptized in his spirit. You know, in Acts 8, he gives a clear picture of this, what this means. It says, When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You see, this is a great reason to be in church because what other people have, we need. And whenever God puts an impression upon you that that person's been freed from something you're in bondage to, they can pray for you and they can break that bondage off your life. Or this person has a special gifting and you would like to have that gifting and they can pray for you and lay hands and sometimes gifts can be imparted. That people with the Holy Spirit that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit can lay hands on you and you can receive a baptism in the Holy Spirit. These things are the way God set it up because he wants us to be interdependent upon one another. He doesn't want us to be independent of one another. God wants his church to be unified and to be a body that operates together in wholeness. So my charge to you today is to let the second Pentecost wind blow into your life. Let the power of God come into your life. Just have a moment with the Lord and allow him to baptize you in his Holy Spirit. And I promise you, he'll never, ever be sorry for that decision. He will not let you down. I love you, church. You're awesome. And I pray the blessing of God on you. And I pray that the favor of God will be on you. I pray that not one of you will get sick from this virus or anything else. And that we will walk in divine health in this season of our life. God, I pray for rich blessing over every person that's in this congregation. And Lord, bring us back together, healthy, happy, and whole. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. See you guys next week. Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, welcome to Church Online. Once again, we're so excited that in a few weeks we get to meet with y'all again. And I really just cannot wait. Um, so let's just pray and then just worship the Lord. God, we just come to you and we honor you this morning with our praise, with our hearts and our minds, just focused on you, God. And like so many of these songs say today, just open our eyes and open our hearts and let us be aware of your presence and let us see you, God. Your, your Holy Spirit was such a beautiful gift such a wonderful gift and today we get to celebrate Pentecost and God what you gave us was something that um, just God we have no words for we just thank you that 
you swallowed up loneliness. Like Melissa Helser says, you swallowed up loneliness whenever you died on the cross and then you sent your Holy Spirit so that we would never be lonely again. And so God, thank you for being with us. When nobody else is, God, when, we're, when we do feel alone, God, you are there with us and we are not alone. And we just love you so much. And thank you for being with us right here, right now, wherever we are, wherever our hearts are, wherever our minds are, however our week has been, God, you're here. And we just love you and we just bring you this offering of praise and thanksgiving. Thank you for your love. Amen.
Someone to see.